I ran into the book of Habakkuk. It kind of snuck up on me in some ways and surprised me, or maybe I bumped into it without knowing what I was getting into when I started reading it. It's a quick read. It's only three chapters, but I was in seminary when I first saw it, and I think one of the probably third, fourth, or fifth sermons uh, that I preached in my career during internships during seminary came from the book of Habakkuk. And I was taken with the poignancy of this book and especially of his struggle with God in prayer. And if we learn anything in Habakkuk, we learn that in prayer, there is a lot that is fair game that especially those of us in kind of Seattle nice society don't usually approach with one another with whom we others with whom we are in relationship. But Habakkuk is not afraid to ask the hard questions and to ask them in prayer. It's a book, I believe, that's more about prayer than anything else because Habakkuk is admitting through most of the book he has no idea who God is and doesn't understand why God is doing what uh, God seems to be doing. But what Habakkuk does is pray in the midst of that, and his prayer comes in the face especially of injustice, and he deals very directly with the question and relationship with God as to why God so often seems silent in the face of that injustice. The context of this book is both the decay of the structures in Jerusalem and the impending invasion by the Chaldean armies. The Babylonian Empire is on the rise and pretty much chewing up and spitting out all of the nations that surround it and becoming the ascendant force at this time. He writes, Habakkuk writes or preaches in the midst of this kind of unstable environment at home and the impending invasion that's sort of on the horizon. And it's really a book about his encounter with God as things are moving from bad to worse. So as you can imagine, there aren't a whole lot of Hallmark cards based on this book of scripture. <laughs> there are three chapters, and so I'll be preaching three sermons on this book. And this first sermon is really on Habakkuk's primary question to God, and that's why I've labeled it justice. What is it that you're doing, God? And how is this in character with what we know to be true about you? If you're about justice, then where is the justice in this situation? So I'm going to read to you the first chapter and the first four verses of the second chapter. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. Look at the nations and see. Be astonished. Be astounded. For a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For I am rousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. 
dread and fearsome are they. Their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more menacing than wolves at dusk. Their horses charge. Their horsemen come from far away. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. With faces pressing forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and of rulers they make sport. They laugh at every fortress and heap up earth to take it. They sweep by like the wind. They transgress, and they become guilty. Their own might is their God. Are you not from of old, O Lord, my God, O my Holy One? You shall not die. O Lord, you have marked them for judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for punishment. Your eyes are too pure to behold evil. You cannot look on wrongdoing. Why do you look on the treacherous and are silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? You have made people like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. The enemy brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his sand. So he rejoices and exults. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his sand. For by them, his portion is lavish and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and destroying the nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hear your invitation to us to boldly approach, to trust in your desire for relationship with us to the point of questioning who you are. Give us by your spirit the ability to both ask that question and hold on in faithfulness to the truth of your steadfast love. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I am going to ask someone to go get me a bottle of water, please. Thank you. Sometimes they magically appear when you see me struggling. Um, <laughs> but I will ask this time and not assume that someone has seen that. Our bill for the Seattle Times came in the mail this week, and every time it has come most recently, I've found myself wondering if they have a senior discount. <laughs> now that I'm at the age where those things are possible. And a part of the reason, excuse me, 
Can I put this on the table? Okay. I just remember the night that the Advent wreath caught on fire and I came over with a baptismal font and was dumping things on the other table. And Warren was immediately up, scooping up the water. So, um, anyway. You weren't listening to the still small voice. <laughs> yeah, right. <sighs> but anyway, getting back to the Seattle Times, I, you know, I found myself wondering, frankly, if it's worth it to get it. Because that lovely morning ritual of reading the newspaper with your coffee that I grew up with and having that delivered luxuriously to your door has been something that that is no longer a lovely morning ritual for me as I open the paper and usually find within it nothing more than several invitations to despair. I find myself wondering if, especially as we now start presidential elections two years before the actual election, if for the next 13 months I am going to be filled with the fruit of political polarity? Is our world going to be on the constantly on the verge of war? As I read the paper, these are some of the questions that occur to me. Are we going to do something about homelessness and widening income disparity and the transitioning out of fossil fuels? Are we actually going to do something about these things? Or are we going to just keep burying our heads in the sand? And all of that becomes obvious to me as I read the paper. And I ask the question, are you there, God? If so, what do you think about all of this? I know a lot of people think they know what you think about all of this, but what do you think about all of this? And are you about the business of redeeming it? How long? How long will this be going on? I'm tired and I'm wanting God to act to bring some relief. It's hard not to walk into this sanctuary and have that in the backs of our minds and wanting to be rerooted in the bigger truth of God's steadfast love, but yet it's still there nagging at us in the backs of our minds. And so we ask Habakkuk's question, his primary question throughout this book, which is how long? Habakkuk is tired and asking that question and saying, I'm crying for help and you don't seem to be listening, God. In verses two through four is where he articulates that primary complaint and says, everywhere I look, there's trouble, there's destruction and violence, there's strife and contention, and there is injustice because the wicked seem to prosper and you don't seem to care. And so he asks, how long? And what's more, he prays this prayer knowing that things are going to get worse. Knowing that they're going to get worse before they get better because the word he hears from God is the word about the impending destruction that's going to be foisted on Israel as Jerusalem is destroyed and the Chaldean armies haul most of the leadership into exile for 70 years. 
And God is therefore reminding Habakkuk of this truth that things are going to get worse before they get better. And shows what that worst situation will be in verses 5 through 11. There's kind of a dialogue that's going on in this book between Habakkuk's complaint and God's word. And God essentially says to Habakkuk, the Chaldeans are on your doorstep, Habakkuk. And we all know what that means because we're all too familiar with the ways that the Chaldeans act. And now it's their turn to be the ascendant empire and they have the power to achieve what they are setting out to do. And we all know who their God is. Their God is their own might. They literally bow down to their own implements of war and worship them. They have the power to achieve what they're going to set out to do. Their God is their might and they are reckless and ruthless in their disregard for those against which they are using that might. And with this, Habakkuk deepens his complaint and asks the question that everyone's thinking, which is, how can you allow this, God? Are you not from of old? You've marked them for judgment? How can you be silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous than they? Based on what we know of your character, God, this seems to be totally out of character. We are your people, those who know and name your name and feel not like your people, but by like fish being hooked and brought up or dragged out of the water by their nets. The unrighteous are winning and will go on winning for some time to come. So how long? What's up with this? There's every reason to walk away from God when we are in this situation and asking this question, because this incongruity could easily foster rejection. But what Habakkuk does, for some reason, is refuse to do that. He cannot or chooses not to make that choice to walk away, but instead says, I will wait. I don't get it but I will wait. I'll climb to a tower, the rampart, and I'll watch. I'll station myself on that tower and I'll wait, but I cannot let go of you. I cannot abide a world without you. So I will wait. I will watch. I will listen and live expecting that there is some answer to my complaint and I won't jump to that conclusion with any hasteness that separates me from you. The meaning of the events of this world are often very opaque to us. And how God might be in them is often unclear to us. There are those who would make a clear connection between that wrongdoing and someone's need to be punished, but it never comes off smelling very well, especially when it's, especially when it's something like a group of people protesting across the street in the name of God during the funeral of a U.S. serviceman who has died 
and telling the family that he, that serviceman died in battle because the country supports homosexuals. That doesn't sit very well, does it? And God seems a lot bigger than that. The meaning of the events of this world are opaque to us. And jumping to the conclusion that God is somehow in them when God might not be in them is probably not a good thing to do. And I think the service that Habakkuk does for us is that he does not pretend to explain what God is about. Instead, he gives witness to what he knows and what he can do. I know of your righteousness, he says. I know of your love. I will hold on to those and I will wait. And God's reply essentially is, good choice. (laughs) (laughs) Write the vision. Keep declaring what you know. Yes, part of the vision does await its time. And complete fulfillment is not yet completely in the picture. But it will come, it will be revealed, and what seems opaque and incongruent will become clear and will be made manifest. And if you need some help to do this waiting, then spend a little bit of time contemplating the plight of the proud. Spend a little bit of time looking at the proud those who have only themselves, and ask, is that all you want, is only yourself? So hold on to me, remain faithful to me, keep doing what you're doing, stay engaged, even if it's only to complain. Trust the relationship. It will sustain you. It will see you through this time of dysphoria and turmoil. The vision will show itself to be true. So hold on to me knowing that I have not let go of you. You know, we have to admit that daily, the evil in this world will offer us reasons to question the goodness or the power of God. Creation groans, as Paul says, The creation groans in places like Morocco and Maui and Libya. And justice is perverted by the powerful. Justice is perverted by the powerful who mistakenly believe that they are in charge and will always remain in charge. But Habakkuk invites us to a different choice. He invites us away from the despair And he invites us to remain faithful and to climb to the rampart, to wait and watch. And true, though the vision awaits its time, God's voice softly says, trust me. For I am not capricious. I am not brittle. I made you. I'm holding on to you. And I won't let go. Let's pray. Lord, as we contemplate releasing our grip on you, 
dive into our awareness with the truth that you will remain holding on to us. Help us to rest in that and boldly wrestle with what we do not understand, but always trusting that you are trustworthy, always choosing to be faithful to your faithfulness toward us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.